This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Entrepreneurship has high highs and low lows. Bipolar disorder has high highs and low lows. So the way that it inherently worked, the patterns, the cycles of entrepreneurship felt very familiar in my mind. I was like, oh, you want me to go to a low in my business? Like the low I go in my mind's worse than that. So like, bring it, let's go. I started my agency. I didn't have a business plan or business model or like quarterly goals. Mm -hmm. I just started it in a week and I said, let's see what happens. And I think that sometimes we underestimate the power of curiosity and just jumping in to see what happens and being okay if it doesn't work out. Let's take a breath. (sighs) Hey guys, I'm Cindy Litwako and welcome to Something to Share. Every Wednesday, I sit down with people you may have seen on your TV screens, experts in their fields, or just people I find inspirational so that they have a platform to dive into the things that they really want to talk about. We all have something to share, something that we're going through, and something that we need to hear. So let's get started. Hi, friends. Welcome back to the podcast. Happy Wednesday. Happy middle of the week or whenever you were brought to this. I am just so happy that you're here. I hope that whatever happens in this episode today, you get something out of it. You get inspired. You get to take away something helpful or you just get a nice welcome break from whatever you're doing today. Um, So today we have on Scout Sobel on the podcast. And if you guys are not familiar with her, she's a fellow podcaster. She's actually a Podcast Nation, part of the Podcast Nation network with me as well. So she's part of the family as far as I'm concerned. And she has an awesome podcast, OK Sis, with her sister. She also has her own podcast, the Scout Podcast. And she is just very similar to me in that she loves all things podcasting. She loves to have these long-form conversations and she's very open, especially around the topic of mental health and her own journey with that and how she's gotten herself from depressive disorders. Uh, She was diagnosed with bipolar disorder at age 20. She experienced a lot of up and downs with mental health from there on out. She's very open with that part of her life. And I just want to give like a little bit of a maybe trigger warning just in case anyone might be going through anything similar or has struggled with mental health in the past. I just want to say that I hope this episode supports you and that's if you need the help that you're seeking it out. And I think Scout is a great example of how she has learned to include mental health as as a part of her everyday life. And that it is not just 
a one thing and it fixes all. It's not something that you can just put a Band-Aid over. Um, she's taken a long time and a lot of work has gone into it for her to figure out what has been the way to, to best show up in her life and how she can use her mental health and getting it to a place that it is now where she feels functioning and has learned to channel it into a positive way of her life. So it's not about just shoving her feelings down or um, not acknowledging her mental health. It's more of just figuring out for herself how she can work with it. And she does a great job of describing that. And she, she relates her mental health with entrepreneurship, which I really love. So she has a book called The Emotional Entrepreneur, which I read before this interview. And I connected with it very much. I think that no matter what in life, we are all, are all going to experience certain thoughts, especially around business or goals that we're working on. And sometimes that can lead to negative self-talk or self-doubt, especially around when you're relating your self-worth or your value to your jobs or the successes that you have from work or whatever it is for you guys. I, I think I do that a lot. I've done that a lot in the past where I saw myself as valuable or I rewarded myself or I felt happy when I felt like I was doing well in my work or my business or with uh, my dance career or whatever it was that I was, whatever job I was doing at the time. And it's great to be happy and celebrate your successes, but it's very hard when you're relating your success just to your overall value in life because the success, especially in business and especially in entrepreneurship, is fickle. It goes up and down. It's not going to be a consistent growth necessarily every day. You're not going to just start one thing and just immediately be an expert or immediately have success overnight. For some people, it does happen, but for others, like myself, I consider it doesn't. So um, we talk a lot about that and just mental health around entrepreneurship. So yes, I just basically want to preface this episode with if you've ever experienced ups and downs with mental health or if you're currently going through things with mental health, I just hope that you are seeking out the help that you need, the support that you need. I hope that you have people around you that are supporting you um, and I'm just sending some love your way and I hope that this episode helps you in some way especially in the regards to mental health. Um, my something to share today, last week I had a watch party in Cincinnati is where I'm living currently. And I've been trying my best now that uh, the pandemic has subsided slightly, not really, but now that we're allowed to leave the house more and do things, I've been trying my best to kind of get to know the area of Cincinnati, get to know the people a little bit more. I have on my manifestation list to make friends. It's a thing. It's hard to do when you're over 30 or when you're 30. And just in general, as an adult, it's difficult. So I've been actively trying to get to know the area more, get to know local businesses more, and get to know the community more. So I had a follower on Instagram reach out saying that they I should have a watch party for The Bachelorette, the new season for Michelle that's airing right now. And I was like, oh my God, that's a great idea. Let's look into local businesses and see if anyone's available to make that happen. So we had this watch party uh, last, last Tuesday, so last week. And honestly, I swear to you, I didn't think anyone was going to show up. I am just... Maybe I'm just not the biggest optimist when it comes to my success, um, but I just didn't think it would turn out like it did. I was blown away by how many people showed up. I'm constantly reminded of how big of a deal The Bachelor and Bachelorette are. I just forget, you know, once you've been off the show for a while, you just forget how big that show is and how many people watch it and how many uh, lives it affects, which is really cool. 
Um, so I basically just was like, okay, let's have a watch party. We'll see if anyone comes. If not, I'll watch the show. I'll have a couple of drinks. It'll be great. Um, but I, I swear there must have been over 100 people that showed up for this. And we were supposed to do a little meet and greet at the beginning. Um, I got there around 7. We started the meet and greet around 7. And I swear to God, I didn't sit down until pretty much when the episode was over. Um, that's how many people were there. That's how uh, long it took to meet everyone. So all this to say, wow. <laughs> and I guess I need to remind myself and maybe someone else out there that to maybe raise my expectations a little bit more for what I'm capable of and the reach that I actually do have in the world, I tend to doubt that a lot. And I'm just being very open with all of you as I try to be on here just because I go through ups and downs with my own mental health and things like that. And sometimes I surprise myself with the things that I'm able to accomplish. So that was a really cool experience for me and a good reminder that I do have an effect in the world and that people will show up for things. And if you're out there and you're feeling like you don't have that, I would just encourage you to believe in yourself a little bit more, especially more than what I have been. And don't be afraid to put yourself out there and plan things and try new things for yourself. You never know what kind of success they'll bring. Also, I am a very introverted person naturally. I've been introverted as, as pretty much my whole life, especially when I was younger. Oh my goodness. When I was a child, I had a hard time speaking in public. I wouldn't, for example, my mom would have to order my dinner for me. I was too afraid to talk to the waitress. Um, I was too afraid to talk to my dance teachers, especially when I was really young. Um, and I just naturally tended to be super shy in public, especially. So that's something that I've constantly ha tried and had to overcome, especially as an adult, because sometimes you, in life or mostly in life, you got to put yourself out there. If you want any change or things to happen or people to know what you have to offer, you have to literally put it into the world. And that can be kind of hard for someone like me who's introverted or if someone else is out there, I'm sure you can relate to that being introverted and being afraid to talk in public spaces or being afraid to put your work or whatever, whatever it is that you do out there because you're just afraid of people seeing it or afraid of it not being received well or afraid of just making noise in a room because that was me forever and still sometimes is. Like, for example, on the way to that watch party, I was like in the car, Nick was driving and I was doing like breathing exercises because I was so nervous and just kind of freaking out and just also preparing myself from talk for talking to a bunch of people, which is really <laughs> a lot for an introvert. But um, all this to say that I try my best to do things in life that are difficult and that I find scary. And I've noticed every time that I've done those scary things or I've put myself out there in a way that I've never done before or that I was very uncomfortable doing or I just didn't fully believe that I would necessarily get through them. Um, I've always been rewarded after that, or I've always uh, at least taken something positive away from that. So I just say, go do the scary thing. F the noise, especially the noise in your head, which I'm sure we all have that voice. It's like, who do you think you are to think that you could do this? Or who do you think you are to think that you can try this new endeavor? Like all of those little voices that we always have that I have all the time that I have to be like, shh shut your mouth. Stop talking to me. I'm going to do it anyways. Yeah, just do it anyways. If you're terrified of it, 
do what you need to pump yourself up, to prepare yourself, to get your head in the right zone because we're all worthy of so many amazing things and of success and of being pleasantly surprised with the outcome of something that you tried to do that was super scary. So my something to share is just freaking do it even though it's terrifying, even though you have to take probably two days after whatever the thing is to recoup uh, from whatever it is, just do it. And know that people like me are actively having to work on this constantly and actively having to push myself out of my comfort zone. But there's so much to come from that space, from being in As Brene Brown says, you have to be in the arena. You have to put yourself in there. Um, Even though it's terrifying and you know that people are watching you, she says, I'd much rather be in the arena than be on the outside looking in. So that is the something to share. Be in the arena, put yourself out there, do the scary thing, and just trust that everything will fall into place and trust that you have the strength, the power, everything that you need to make it through that situation. And if it doesn't turn out how you expected it to, and if it is a huge fail, that's a lesson maybe you needed to learn or something that you can take away into the next endeavor so we can enter into that stronger, better, and ready for whatever life is going to throw at you. So that's my something to share today, guys. I hope that you enjoy this episode with Scout. Please tag us on social media. Repost these to your stories. I love seeing them. Um, tag me, Sydney Latwako, and tag the podcast at Something to Share Podcast on Instagram and we'll repost you. And my last request is that before you go, you write a five-star review because I love reading them. They help me to grow this podcast and get it out into the world to the people that need to hear it. So without further ado, guys, here is Scout. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yay, Scout, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here. How are you? I'm good. I have been looking forward to talking to you all day, so I am very excited to be here. I'm excited too. Actually, before we even jump into any of this, I need to know more about your name because it's so Mm -hmm. unique and fascinating. Where does it come from? Is it a nickname? Where does Scout come from? 
So it is a nickname that my friend gave me when I was younger, and it is off or based from the uh, character Scout from To Kill a Mockingbird. Ah. Um, you read that book. I read okay. it a very long time ago, so I don't exactly remember exactly who Scout was in that book, but that's where it all originated, and it really stuck, and here we are today. It's such an iconic name, especially for what you're doing. It's like the agency, your podcast. I love I love Thank that you, you have that. Um, you're welcome. For those of the people that don't know who you are, can you give us just a brief little part about who you are, what you do, all of the things that Scout does? Yeah. So I'm Scout Sobel. I am the CEO and founder of Scout's Agency, which is a female-focused PR agency that specializes in getting women as guests on podcasts. I started the agency two and a half years ago because Three years ago, I started OKSIS Podcast, which I co-host with my sister Mads and very, very quickly fell in love with podcasting, recognized the power of podcasting, the networking abilities, the exposure abilities, et cetera. So OKSIS really was the inspiration for me starting my own agency. And from there, I uh, decided to launch my first book this year called The Emotional Entrepreneur, which is really the emotional guidebook to entrepreneurship, which blends the intersection of mental health and entrepreneurship. Since when I was 14, I had my first depressive episode. And when I was 20, I was formally diagnosed with bipolar disorder. So I have kind of dedicated my personal platform and my content creation towards helping people feel safe in their emotions while also breaking through fear, anxiety, imposter syndrome to really start that thing that they've always wanted to start. So that is a little bit about me. I love that you use all of the things that you've been through, including your diagnosis, to kind of channel what you do now in your work. Um, it just feels very aligned. And I've been reading your book all day long and yesterday. And it's wonderful. And I'm excited to like break down all of the elements that you included in there because I think even for myself reading it, I was like, oh, I needed to hear this today. These are things that every woman and anyone in business go through. Um, the doubts or the wondering if you're doing the right thing or the emotions that come and go with being an entrepreneur. So I could relate to so much of your book. So I'm excited to break all of that down. Um, so thank you for writing it. But before we do all of that, I ask everyone these two questions. So I want to start with our two segments. So first, I ask everyone to bring either something from their nightstand, surprising, or something with an interesting backstory. So scouts, what do you have? Wait, so on my nightstand, which is actually sitting next to me right now because it rotates throughout my house, is this Palo Santo and Sage holder. So it rotates from my desk to my nightstand to my bath. Uh -huh. It kind of like comes with me wherever I go. But at night, I like to really, really set the mood. So I'll light some Palo Santo while I read, putting my phone away, etc. It's just kind of this thing. I don't know if it's a security blanket with healing my energy, getting myself into the right zone. But the minute I light Palo Santo, it's just kind of this invitation to either reset, to calm my nervous system, or to ground within. So I find that lighting it before I go to bed is is uh, definitely one of my uh, nighttime routines. I love that. Actually, I was just looking. My sage stick is right up here too because I'm obsessed with that stuff too. And I love a grounding practice. I, I think I even read this in your book. Like I'm told to do this a lot. Like you need the practices that are just going to bring you in your body, let you get out of your mind, your head, anything that might be going on. Um, so I definitely use that as well. I can't use it as much as I would like because my boyfriend 
always knows when I have lit it. He like he'll come home and be like, it smells like a freaking church in here. Can we <laughs> can you not do that? So I'll have to like do it during the day and then open the windows so I can like clear the energy out. Um, but I use that pretty regularly. I'm like, it just feels a little stuffy in here. I'm gonna sage it out. Um, but he always comes home and is like, Oh, what are we do we have Catholic mass today? Like what's going on? You know what? My husband hasn't made a comment yet. He might have thought about it in his head, <laughs> but it hasn't come out of his mouth yet. So I'm going to keep going until yes. I suffocate him with Palo Santo. There you go. Pick and choose your battles. <laughs> um, last question on this topic. Anything that's been on your heart or mind lately? It can be related to what we're going to talk about today or something completely random. What's on my heart lately, to be totally honest and transparent, is... I, I don't know if it's an internal struggle necessarily, but it's a very deep and foundational self-awareness check-in on how I can show up in conversations with people that I love and admire and respect mm-hmm. who have different opinions than I do mm-hmm. and not get triggered, but rather really spend time trying to understand why other people feel the way they do. Mm-hmm. Obviously, this is prompted by our world today and how divisive it's gotten. And and I don't think we have ever lived through a time where those closest to us can have such different opinions and that could threaten a relationship and a friendship, which is just yeah. ludicrous in my mind. So what's really on my heart is how can I show up in support of others who have different opinions than I do? How can I hold space for different opinions? And how can I challenge my own opinions to come from a place of love versus fear or being triggered and how can I kind of be more in connection with the people around me Mm -hmm. who don't necessarily think exactly like me. So that's kind of what I'm internally that's on my heart that I'm working on because I think that if I do that, I can ease some of the tension in my immediate surroundings and provide and promote a little bit more connection and a little bit more love. Yeah, I love that. And it's such a hard topic to kind of think through because I think last year especially showed us how differing our everyone's opinions can be about every single topic under the sun mm-hmm. and how that can easily divide us, whether that's in friendship or even in relationship or it can be, be online where you post something you think is going to be not like very normal and not get a lot of reaction out of people, but it can be like completely the opposite of that. And it's I think interesting with that too, it's like you can either go into those conversations with the people that you love and admire and like try to broach them head on, or you can just completely avoid them altogether, which is then is it doing, are you doing yourself a disservice by not not even covering those topics? Because I tend to pick and choose what topics I'm going to discuss just because I know the world is sensitive and I am very respectful of that. But then it's like, I don't want to do my audience or anyone I'm having a conversation with a disservice by like not having those tougher conversations. So yeah, it's an interesting balance. How are you finding it with uh, your podcast and like the conversations that you had? Like what is working for you as far as like the line of what you talk about and how you have the conversation? You know, I think for me, the stuff that I bring up, I, in today's age, I'm pretty mindful about what I talk about because Mm -hmm. I, if, if I dilute my message with every new thing that's going on in the news, every new cause, every new, you know, not even new, every tragedy, Mm -hmm. what I'm put here on earth to do, which is to help women feel safe in their emotions so that they can 
love themselves and create an architect and a life of their, you know, the future that they want to live in for themselves and the life they want to live in. If I repost everything, if I comment on everything, if I, you know, my purpose actually gets diluted and I can't Mm. serve the people I'm supposed to serve. And therefore my impact, my positive impact on the world is not going to have as big of a ripple effect. So I choose very consciously what I post about on the internet. It does not mean that I don't have internal conversations with myself about these things or talk about to my husband and my friends Mm. and my family, et cetera, about these things. But for me, the part that weighs heavily on my heart right now is how am I showing up to the people that are actually in my inner circle, in my life, who have different opinions. And it's mostly a self-awareness scan of why do I get triggered mm-hmm. when someone says this? Or why do I get triggered when someone feels differently about this? Mm-hmm. And trying to not necessarily look at all of this that's happening in the world from a state of reactivity and fear, but rather I'm really trying to understand why people come to the conclusions that they come to while still holding them in complete respect and love and acceptance. And so that's not part of my, I guess, not part of my online mission in this moment. It's not like Mm -hmm. one of my brand pillars, but it's the work that I'm doing internally at home with my friends and family and neighbors and community members. And I, I hope it's the work that we all can do because I think that if we can all come from a state of love versus reactivity and being Mm -hmm. triggered and angry, um, this world can be a little bit more pleasant. Yeah, I agree. And I think it does start with your smaller circle and the people that Mm -hmm. love and care about you when you're going through figuring that out for yourself Um, because it it is a challenging thing to do, but it it's a it's almost easier to do with people that you already have the love for. It's much more difficult to do with people and strangers online. But when you start it, I think in that smaller space and you grow to understand and you have that like love that you're putting on other people, I think then it can translate into an online space. But I think it's great to start small. Like I think a lot of times we're all just like jumping to like putting it on the platform, using it as content, like jumping on this bandwagon, reposting the thing. Um, and support, but sometimes it's nice just to like go back to just your people and then t- working it out and amongst them at least first. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And for me, I saw. I mean, I definitely was not planning to talk this, but this is the beauty of podcasting. You go into these conversations. Yeah. You know, for me, I saw a lot of harm sometimes with that repost culture. Yeah, I was involved and very heavy in that repost culture. Just everything that came on, I reposted and you know, I'm embarrassed and shameful to admit that I would call my sister and be like, I don't fucking know what I just reposted. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know the history of this. Mm -hmm. And I felt obviously the pressure to repost uh, from certain communities on the internet, et cetera. But once I kind of internally checked in and was like, wait a minute, I don't, I'm not even educated on this shit right now. Why am I doing this? And so then I just saw also greater harm with a certain issue that happened that created a ripple effect in, a, in my community. And so for me, it's been being, you know, stepping back and, and not feeling the pressure to do things for public appearances, but actually doing the work that really feels good in your heart and in your real life. Sometimes when we feel the need to just slap something on the internet without intention, without research, without really thinking about it, it can spread a fire that that maybe if we, instead of using the, that energy to do that, stood and stood in ourselves and called our friend and had a conversation about it, you know, called someone we loved and had a really, you know, an hour talk about what's going on and what we feel about it. You know, I think those things are so impactful. And so I've been finding myself in those spaces more because I, I, I do want to 
I want our, I want us to come together more, not in, not in the same opinions. We don't have to have the same opinions, but just coming together with a little more respect and love for our fellow humankind. So. I love that. Yeah. And I think I am feeling a slight shift. I think with last year and how the repost culture and just like being at the front of everything, I think it's shifted a little bit where now it's almost of more value when you take the time, when you really think on it, when you really like do the extra research or whatever it is that you need to do to like fully, then when you like feel very inclined to reshare, to share something, then there's like more meaning and truth behind it. I think in the long run is more effective. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's, yeah, it's an interesting pull and push (laughs) battle. I, I totally understand what you mean by that, but we yeah. can always just try to, like you said, spread a little bit, come from a pace of love, at least try, um, and then going from there. Yeah. But yeah. That's, I mean, that's a, <laughs> we could talk about that for the entire hour. Yeah. I um, mean, yeah, yeah. That's, that's what's on, that's what's on my heart. And I made it very known on Instagram. Like, for example, when Texas passed their, their abortion law, that's something that I felt very strongly against. And so I posted about it and I just said, Hey, like, when I post about something, it's because I really feel deeply about the issue and feel connected to it and understand it. But mm-hmm. if I don't post about something, that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm not thinking about it. It's just that maybe posting about it doesn't feel like the right thing for me to do or the biggest reach or effect I have. So I think I think that narrative is changing, especially with people who throw their lives on the internet like you do. You know, mm-hmm. it's we want to, we want to use our platforms responsibly and we want to use them for good. But if mm-hmm. we just repost a million things, our yeah. influence, our, our impact actually gets diluted. Yeah. I completely agree with that. And I, I love the direction you're going. I think that is definitely more impactful. And I also aim to do that. And I also am aware of just like mental health, like you, I know you're a big advocate for this and just the, when you're constantly being reinforced with the same images or like the news, like for me personally, like I can't, take all of that in as often as it's put out online. Like it's just like can be a lot on the system. And I try to be aware of that as well. It's like, am I, by me reposting this, is this going to affect someone in a negative way? Um, so yes. Yeah. Talking about mental health on the internet is, is it's a whole, can, yeah. can be tricky. It's something I navigate every single day. And I think it's always important when I talk to be like, this is my experience. This is what worked for me. There is no mental health advice. There's no fitness advice. There's no, you know, any advice that can fit Mm -hmm. one size fits all. And so for me, I'm speaking from direct experience being in the psychiatric and therapeutic worlds for over 16 years now, but there's always that part of me that, you know, hopes that what I say reaches a good amount of people, but there's always, I know a part of me that when I put something out might rub someone the wrong way or trigger Mm -hmm. them in in a different way. But you know, it's hard to say things that apply to everybody all the time. Yeah, I agree. Um, so let's get into your experience because I know you uh, mentioned this at the beginning that you were diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Can you talk me through like your experience with mental health, the up and downs of it, and like how that has brought to you kind of to where you are today? Yeah. I mean, my mental health journey really goes back to when I was in kindergarten. I remember the first time I experienced anxiety. Mm-hmm. And it pulsated through my body so intensely that I, for three whole days, the whole weekend, a teacher yelled at me on a Friday because she thought I did something, but it was the guy next to me who did it. And it was all like 15 seconds. She was like, oh, sorry, you didn't do that. Sorry about that. But it filled me with so much anxiety mm-hmm. that I didn't even tell anybody because I, 
my little brain was confused as to what was happening to me. Yeah. I just didn't understand that I remember carrying it home with me all weekend. Like it was just impossible to get rid of, but I didn't say anything. Mm-hmm. And so that's one of my earliest memories. And I definitely had some behavioral issues, first grade, second grade, third grade. I would, you know, fight my mom when she tried to get me into carpool to go to school. I really wanted to socially isolate. I never wanted to go to camp. I tried to call in sick all the time. I really wanted to be alone. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to be alone. And I had anger problems. Like my parents um, hired a meditation teacher to come in when I was like seven to create this land that I would go to when I was angry. So anyways, all that to say is that seeds were being planted when I was younger. And by the time I started ninth grade in high school, my mom was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis Mm -hmm. and high school hormones, puberty, whatever. It just hit me. It hit me like a ton of bricks. And I went into a depressive episode pretty quickly. I really stopped taking care of myself. You know, I used to put cute outfits on. I kind of just threw on sloppy sweatpants and I stopped eating. I started binging and restricting food. And while I don't identify uh, with the experience of an eating disorder, I can look back and really knew that I was using those behavioral, you know, or using food as a way to control some things since everything else felt so out of control. Um, but very quickly got out of that, got out of that pattern. Um, I started self-harming. I started locking myself in my room and staying up late at night alone. And so once the school, my school found out about the self-harm, they notified my parents and I was put into therapy. I definitely resisted like the first three therapists. I was such a bitch just sitting there like I'm not gonna fucking talk to you you know oh I was God, like, yeah. lord child <laughs> and then um you know my parents wore me out with taking me to so many different ones and so that's really where I started my therapy journey and I took a 500 question test that basically it's like a behavioral mental health test mm-hmm. uh it ranked me in the clinical and it was like I was bordering clinical and chronic depression at that time at the age of 15, 16. And, wow. um, but nothing was really done to me. I wasn't placed in, in intensive treatment. I wasn't put on medication. And I think it's a blessing and a curse. I think it's a blessing because it allowed me to really see what was going on before intense intervention was made. Yeah. And it's a little bit of a curse because I can imagine if I was pulled out of school for a year and just really send somewhere to work on this. It could have saved years of my life. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, but I went up and down in high school. All my friends knew that I was the emotional one. They would make fun of me and be like, scout, go in the corner and write a poem. And it was, it was good. It was out of fun and good love. They, they, they yeah. loved me, but it was definitely very known that I had different emotional patterns. I took a lot of mental health days. I had anxiety attacks, et cetera. But it wasn't until I uh, left for college that my mind started to exit reality. Uh, As a freshman, I started thinking that men were following me home, that they were under my bed, in my closet, waiting to come harm and kill me. And so I would plan escape routes. And I always had 1%. 1% of me was like, this isn't true, but my body Uh felt as if it was. And I was afraid as to what would happen if I lost that 1% of my foot in reality. So Uh that was when I called my parents and, you know, they were wondering is, our daughter just sensitive? Can she, you know, my parents had just gotten divorced. Is she not really uh, settling well, leaving the house for the first time or is something more happening? And it became very evident that something more was happening. Mm -hmm. And that's when my journey with 
more intensive therapy. I was introduced to psychiatry, started, but uh, once I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder type two, which is leans more towards depressive episodes versus manic episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, since then, I, I've gone through outpatient twice. They locked me up on a 5150 and deemed me a threat to myself and society. I went through a plethora of medication. I almost went through electric shock, whatever therapy, because no medication was working. And uh, I suffered from catatonia, which is when my nervous system gets so ramped up that I lose motor skill function and I kind of become paralyzed and can't talk for hours on end sometimes. Um, Hypomania, psychosis, paranoia, depression, anxiety, all of that. So um, I've been on a more intensive healing journey for the last nine years. I think when I was 21 is when I really started taking the healing into my own hands, but it wasn't until a year ago, a year and a half ago, where I actually started feeling safe within my mental illness. And I would say today that um, I don't suffer from bipolar disorder anymore. I have it, but I don't suffer from it. I mean, that's an amazing journey. And I, I can't imagine the ups and downs of all of that. What eventually led you to healing or just having your own way of managing your disorder? And because you, if you were looking at you right now, like without knowing your story, I would never guess any of those things that you've been through. So like, how did you manage it? And how did you find a practice that worked for you? Because you said that the medicine wasn't fully working. You were trying all these other things. Like what was the thing that changed for you to get to a better place? I started dating my husband at the age of 21 and we had dated in high school. So I'd known him previously and he was fresh, you know, a year and a half sober at that point. He's 10 years sober today, thank God. And two months into dating, he looked at me and he said, I don't care if you're depressed. If you're depressed and hopeful, I can be in this relationship. If you're depressed and hopeless, I can't be here. Wow. And at that point, I had dropped out of college because of my disorder. I couldn't hold a minimum wage job as a gelato scooper or a hostess. I had an intern position at C Magazine that I had to quit, you know, heading nowhere fast, essentially. And I just, it was like, I wasn't going to lose him. There was something in me that said, if you lose him, I don't know how many more signs or how many more people are going to fight for you. So that's when I got to work. The work didn't necessarily work that quickly, but I, you know, started going to support groups. I started reading books. I went to the self-development aisle in Barnes and Noble, which like, believe me, nine years ago was not cool. It was not cool. It was embarrassing. Like no one was walking down that aisle. I started expressing gratitude because some book told me to. Mm -hmm. I started developing a relationship with a higher power and introducing spirituality into my life. And, you know, I always think it's very interesting, you know, when you contrast my experience with my husband's because my husband went to rehab and got sober. And so he was really given a place for a year, right? You go to rehab, you go to sober living, there's rooms, there's meetings, there's communities, there's sponsors, Mm -hmm. there's there's a system, there's an ecosystem to support you. But when you just have a mental illness, bipolar disorder, intense depression, chronic depression, et cetera, you're kind of on your own. Like 
there's no system that you can jump into to help you. And so I really feel as if my healing took so long because while I was healing, I was trying to be a barista. I was trying to go back to school. I was trying to do work, whatever. So um, that's really what started it. Um, But it took, it took years of figuring out what works for me. And now I'm on a pretty, pretty regimented routine and really understand what works for me emotionally. That's so unfortunate that they don't have systems in place because anything like that, you would uh, hope to have help. And I know they have like psychiatry and medicine and things like that, but like they need, there needs to be some type of program or something that can at least guide you. And then also I'm thinking with AA and things like you have sponsors and people that you can see have been through it that you can like look towards Mm -hmm. as hope and someone that you can connect with who relate to you. You would think that Maybe there is programs. I'm just not aware of them, but you would think that there would be something like that. It's unfortunate. You know, there might be today. I know uh, Sadie from She Persisted Podcast, who I just adore with all my heart. She just graduated mm-hmm. high school. Really? Um, she she says on her podcast, you know, her parents sent her somewhere. There was a place, uh, I think it was DBT. Yeah, that might not be right, but a type of therapeutic model. And so she actually went to a place like that. And I was just talking to her. I'm like, I'm so jealous you had that. I I called all the places and they're like, well, do you have an addiction to substances? Mm. I'm like, no. And they wouldn't take me, you know? So one of my goals one day, hopefully this is in this one, hopefully in my lifetime, this is one of my purposes is to build a place for people to come for a year to really, really have that space for healing because- I didn't know anyone my age who was going through this. There was no one I could look up to. Instagram was kind of a thing. So there weren't mm-hmm. even people I can connect to digitally. The way we use social media now for healing and free content and et cetera is so amazing. But back then there was no one. I, I didn't know where to go. Yeah, which is so scary when you don't have that community or someone that you can look towards. So thankfully they are making steps. But I think what your idea is sounds beautiful. And I think that could be another one of your ventures one of these days. Yeah. And it'll be beautiful and it'll be all neutral colors and aesthetically pleasing, aesthetically pleasing because when they locked me up in a 5150, it was fucking disgusting. And they took away my cigarettes and my notebook. And I was like, how am I supposed to get better? I don't smoke anyway, but I was like, how am I supposed to get better in in this place? This place looks like a haunted house. Like I'm scared to be in here, you know? That's horrifying. Oh my God. And I, I know you mentioned this in your book, but when you found entrepreneurship, you also kind of related it to mental health and the ups and downs and like how that also helped you as a way of pulling yourself out of those darker times. How do those two things relate for you? And how did you go from that place and starting to find healing to starting your own business and to all of the endeavors that you're now a part of? Yeah. So, you know, before I found entrepreneurship, the question of will she function in society was Mm -hmm. being had, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't hold a gelato scooping job. So like, let's talk about my prospects here. Right. So, you know, a year after I started taking radical responsibility over my healing, reading books, support groups, et cetera, infusing hope into my days, Mm -hmm. expressing gratitude, all the things. I got to a point where I was sitting at a coffee shop with a friend and I had this magazine that I brought home from a family trip to New York and it was an indie magazine. So it was a little bit more on the alternative side. And when I was in high school, I always said the first thing that I wanted to do as a career was to be the editor-in-chief of Teen Vogue. So I was always interested in the magazine world. And I had interned for a couple unsuccessfully because everything I did, I left. But I looked at her and I said, do you want to start a magazine? Like it just popped into my head. 
Mm-hmm. But we, she said, yes, but we decided that we would just print it at Kinko's. We would pass it out to our friends, like arts and crafts project guys. Like the bar was not high on the quality situation that we were thinking about. Uh-huh. It was going to be fun. It was more like a zine, I guess, in the beginning. But <laughs> that day, my mind just like turned on something flipped mm-hmm. in my brain. And all of a sudden I'm getting the GoDaddy domain and I'm getting the Instagram handle and I'm researching printers. And then I, all of a sudden I have five meetings with printers in the 30 mile vicinity. And then they're showing me their different paper. And I'm like, no, 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 I need the best quality paper. And now I have a $10,000 quote. And then I get a Kickstarter campaign going and I raise the 10 grand. And what started as something we would print at Kinko's ended up on our third issue being distributed on every newsstand across the country. Barnes and Noble emailed me and asked to pick it up in all of their locations. And we got Halsey, the musician on the cover. And so I went from the girl who couldn't function to the over-functioning girl. Mm -hmm. I was a part-time barista going to community college and launching three issues of this magazine. And so I noticed very quickly, you know, and probably a little bit more back on reflection, you know, entrepreneurship has high highs and low lows. Mm -hmm. Bipolar disorder has high highs and low lows. So the way that it inherently worked, the patterns, the cycles of entrepreneurship felt very familiar in my mind. I was like, oh, you want me to go to a low in my business? Like the low I go in my mind's worse than that. So like, bring it, let's go, you know? And then I started realizing that when I had jobs, internships, et cetera, you know, it was so easy for me to call my psychiatrist and be like, "I, I can't go. Like, I can't go my mental health is struggling. I need you to write me a letter. And they would write me a letter and my boss would have to just deal with it because I was a health issue. But when you run your own thing, like you can't tap out. Yeah. Who's the psychiatrist going to write a note to fucking Barnes and Noble that I didn't deliver the magazines at the right time? Like, no. So Mm -hmm. I couldn't handle responsibility. I could only handle responsibility when it was all on my shoulders, when there was like over responsibility. So kind of those two points, the amount of pressure that it put on me to show up because I was the only one that could forced me to and pushed me through those emotional paralysis blocks that I had beforehand and how it went up and down was so similar to my disorder that I just felt at home. And I knew that I, within my mental illness, could not work a regular job. I love that it gave you the different perspective on entrepreneurship from your own mental health, because sometimes when people see those low lows, like you from experiencing them, you already understand it and it's not as like daunting to you. But sometimes someone would see the low low, say they're starting a business and they got that high from the beginning and then all of a sudden things aren't going well. That could be for someone thinking like, oh, I'm not cut out for this. I have to quit. This is not meant to be. But for you, you could see the ups and downs of it so you can understand it, which is so interesting. Well, I think that the reason I've become successful as an entrepreneur, which you know, keep in mind, I started that magazine at the age of 22. Mm-hmm. And I started Scouts Agency at the age of 27. So in between 22 and 27, like I was trying different stuff, magazine, digital media site, blog, another podcast before OK Says. I think I did a social media agency for two months. Like those five, five years, those five years were me trying anything and everything I could to be a successful entrepreneur and not I don't like to say I failed at them because that's not Mm -hmm. how I perceive those. I was just never successful in actually making a business work monetarily. And so when I started Scouts Agency, 
I just wanted it to financially work. I was like, Mm -hmm. I can prove that I can show up. I can prove that I can create a product. I can prove that I can take something from ideation to execution to selling, et cetera, et cetera. Now my next step is how do I make something financially support me and hopefully others? And so that's what happened with Scouts Agency. That was my major goal. It happened. Today we have four full-time employees and then myself as well. So I guess five full-time. Mm-hmm. And it's been a really, really beautiful two and a half years of intense growth. But I think the reason I'm successful is not because I'm great at marketing or because I know what a PL is or because I know anything about fucking clients. Like I don't, you know, mm-hmm. I do know how to show up and walk through the fire when it gets emotionally difficult. Yeah. And that is the main thing I credit to my success, which is why I wrote my book because mm-hmm. As you just said, people start businesses and then it gets hard and they tap out. It's not that they need to tap out. It's just that they need to reframe their relationship with their emotions. I love all the points that you made. And I think what's interesting, one other point from your book actually was your ability to pivot. And like you just mentioned, you took those five years to try things. And I think I get a lot of questions from like followers or people from Instagram or uh, listeners about like, what do I do? I'm in my 20s. Like, I don't know what I want to be. I don't know what I'm doing. I feel lost. I don't like my job. I want to try my own thing, but I don't know what to do. Like, there's so much like questions, but people don't take that next step of just like taking chances on themselves, which they have to, they don't think people want to take those fails. Um, I mean, they're so you necessary. The, you took the biggest one of them all. You went on fucking reality television. I was like, which one? <laughs> yeah. Not on reality yeah. TV. I yeah. mean, look how that spitballed into so many other areas of your life. Like, mm-hmm. and some people go on that show and nothing happens to them. And then some people go and, and it gives them so much beautiful things. And so it's literally that attitude of saying yes to stuff, of trying mm-hmm. things, I'm not thinking so much, you know? So when I started my agency, I didn't have a business plan or business model or like quarterly goals. Mm -hmm. I just started it in a week and I said, let's see what happens. And I think that sometimes we underestimate the power of curiosity and just jumping in to see what happens and being okay. if It doesn't work out taking massive risks over our life. Like you going on reality television is an excellent example of putting yourself out there and doing as many different things as possible with knowing that the outcomes are completely uncertain in your case, Mm -hmm. completely out of your hands, but doing it anyways and seeing where your life takes you. There's kind of this attitude of curiosity and following the cookie crumbs that people don't necessarily jump into. They want to know this is Mm -hmm. a safe venture. This is going to work out, you know, and that's just, you can't get that in anything in life. So you might as well, you know, jump off and take a risk anyways. Yeah. Which would be lovely if you could like see the end and know it's, you're going to get there, but no one has that ability. You kind of just have to use intuition or whatever your thing is to know when something's right for you. Even if you don't know what's right. And even if it just seems intriguing or something that you want to follow, I always think that people should and just kind of figure it out along the way. I'm still in that process of many of the things I'm doing, but even if it's not the thing in the end, it's like something that might lead you to this person or it's something that might lead you to the next endeavor or whatever you're supposed to be doing. But I think that's all life, which is yeah. great. I mean, can I ask you a question? Yeah. Were you scared before you went on The Bachelor? Horrified. Yeah. Um, I I'd imagine. never dated anyone before. So that was me shoving myself out of the nest to force myself to date people and do it on TV while people could watch and judge. So that was like probably the most terrifying thing that I've ever done. I don't remember that part of your story, but yeah, I, I mean, talk about discomfort and throwing yourself out there. I mean, I feel discomfort on a daily basis knowing that I have 
thousands of listeners at OKSIS podcast that know things about me. It's a very mm-hmm. weird thing to put your entire life out there publicly. And in the way Absolutely. you do it, like kudos to you, because that takes a lot of emotional stamina because that whole experience, like I would go absolutely crazy. I don't think I could do it. It's designed to make people go crazy. (laughs) Yeah. And so your emotional strength, it must be through the roof. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. But yeah, I mean, I agree with so much that you're saying. It's just like, you kind of have to take those chances in life. Cause honestly, for me, it's like, I never want to be at the end of my day, wondering what if, if I had actually taken that really scary route. Yeah. And it doesn't have to work out exactly how you think it's going to work out. It's either way it's a new direction and it's exciting and fun. Um, One thing you mentioned in the book that I want to bring up too is the idea of putting your value on your business and the highs and lows of that. Like I feel like myself, I do that all the time. Like if I'm getting deals or if I'm having increase in listens or if I'm getting more followers even, like that can easily be related to value. Like how do you separate those two things? Because you uh, broke that down really well in the book. That's so hard. Yeah. It's so hard. And it's something I come back to time and time again. So my first test was how can I feel okay in my business um, and in my day to day and in my worth when a client's upset, right? Mm-hmm. Like when a client used to get upset, my whole day was shot. What am I doing? I'm terrible. And I would equate it with my self-worth. And so that, that changed very quickly because I literally would have crashed and burned because in the client-based industry, there's always someone who's bad. Like you can't, someone's always pissed at something, right? So I very quickly was like, I need to get a handle of this intense grip that my clients have over my happiness and my worth and my mental stability at any given moment. Like mm-hmm. if a client can email me upset and my whole day is rocked, what power am I giving away? That is a lot of power to give away to somebody else. So yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah, knowing that I'm a good person, that my team are good people, that we genuinely care about our clients, that we put our best foot forward every single time. And when we make a mistake, we own it because we're fucking human and it happens. Mm -hmm. I'm really sorry if you can't cuss on this podcast. You can absolutely cuss, please. Um, Because I've done it a couple of times now. Um, That was my first lesson, right? And so now I've, I've gotten really great at it. Now I'm relearning that lesson, which is the trippiest and best part about healing is that you come back to the same lessons over and over again and to mm-hmm. new, in different ways. For me, it's having the money not tied up to my worth as an entrepreneur, et cetera. I mean, to be very candid and honest, which at this point, it's like, what, <laughs> That's have, what, I not, came here for. what have I not said out loud? You know, my, I stacked the team. I invested in, you know, a really great team at my agency. I launched a book at the same time and I financially stretched myself. I financially invested in myself. And when the revenue wasn't hitting the exact number that I wanted it to hit literally a week and a half ago, I had to take a walk and I was crying hysterically walking around my neighborhood, looking like an absolute crazy person in, I don't even know what I was wearing. I throw on whatever I could find and I'm like screaming outside. Yep. <laughs> and that's a moment that I'm not really proud of. It's a true, vulnerable, intense, raw moment. It's a moment I let my emotions take over myself to the point where I couldn't control what was coming out of me. And it was a moment where I forgot my truth. My truth mm-hmm. is that I'm abundant, that there is money that is very easily available to me, that there are many clients that want to sign with me that opportunities are coming in left and right for me at all times. And that who I am has nothing to do with that bottom line number. Mm. And once I was able to realign myself with that truth, I woke up two days later after being in total 
fight or flight survival mode, which was totally fucking exaggerated. I was fine. Nothing, nothing was being taken from me. My business was not going down. We were good. Mm -hmm. Um, I woke up and journaled just about the truth, the truth of my life, of who I am, of where my worthiness lies, of the abundance I have in my life. And I kid you not, I signed five clients in about 48 hours after them, which I've never done in my entire life. And so when we act from this energy or when we give something external to us, the power to control how we feel about who we are, about our businesses, about our lives, it's a surefire way to never see the truth because you are the victim to something else that's outside of your control. So it is a lesson that you have to come to come back to again and again, especially as entrepreneurs, because we get engulfed in what we do. It is not a nine to five. It is not someplace we clock out. And so mm-hmm. differentiating who you are in here outside of all of this is really, really important. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, because I, I think the factor that we care about it so much and you want it to get to that level or whatever your goal is or that revenue because we have that so attached to us and how much that we care about it, that it can easily be connected to how we feel about ourselves. And I think that's Mm -hmm. a great point that you make just separating the two. So no matter what the ups and downs are, like your value is innate. It's always there. This is something that you're trying to produce and naturally it's going to have ups and downs. So I love, I love that. I think last few questions because of your mental health journey, like what are your practices or how do you maintain that now? You mentioned some spiritual practices and things like that. Like how are you maintaining that as you grow, as you continue on in business and things like that? Like how do you keep your mental health to where you need it to be? So my mental health is, you know, sometimes I get upset when I'm in a state of resistance of how much I have to do to really keep me operating at this level. But then I remember that when I operate at this level, life is magical and beautiful and abundant and I get to do everything I've ever wanted to do and more. So if you are feeling resistance to really implementing a pretty strict ritual and routine around your mental health, I would really look at that resistance and ask you if the life you're living is currently better holding on to those maybe toxic behavioral patterns um, and what it would look like if you knocked those out and really worked hard. What kind of life could you have? So for me, working hard at my mental health every single day is a non-negotiable. I get at least eight hours of sleep every single night. I prefer nine. I'll go to 10 and I'll go to 10 if I can. Um, I don't look at my phone for the first two hours in the morning. I mean, I don't look at my text, my Instagram, my emails. I go on it to put a podcast on or a meditation, but I'm not checking notifications Mm -hmm. on my phone or scrolling or anything for the first two hours. I journal first thing in the morning, every single morning, um, you know, every now and then I miss a day, but like very rarely it's the first thing I do. I grab my coffee. I sit and I just emotionally process and dump and spend time with myself. Then I do about a 10 to a 15 minute meditation. Then I do some, again, 10 to 20 minutes of movement with Melissa Wood. She's incredible. And I put on a great podcast, um, make myself breakfast. Like I just don't all that time. I'm not looking at my phone and I'm alone. I need a lot of alone time. And so that's really non-negotiable in my morning. One of the main things I do to help my mental health is to put the phone away. Like I don't care if you listen to anything. I don't care if you like me. I don't care if you think I'm crazy or whatever. If you walk away from this podcast and you decide to put your phone away for an hour a day, like I have done my job because I think that we forget one, we don't connect to the part of ourselves that is just us inherently worthy because we're so consumed and bombarded by stimulation, by images, by messages, by text, Instagram. I mean, it's absolutely insane. So for me, a non-negotiable is making sure that when I don't need to be on my phone, I don't need to be on my phone and I'm doing something else. 
you know, I have a coach that I meet with about once a week. I kind of like made a support system there for myself. That's uh, a little bit more intensive than therapy. Cause I think in someone who just needs a little bit extra support, I go for copying once to twice a month, non-negotiable. Um, I, you know, spend a lot of time alone doing things that are intentionally resting. So if instead of scrolling on Instagram or binge watching a show on Netflix, which, you know, we do every day, I do it every day as well, but adding in a time for a bath, adding in a time for a walk with my partner, my husband, partner, I call him my husband, adding in some cooking time, you know, putting your phone away and putting on some bossa nova and cooking. So I get really mindful about curating moments that nourish me and make me feel good and connect me to my life and my surroundings instead of sucking me into a vortex of external stimulation. So phone away and doing things that fill my cup up. Maybe for you, that's yoga. Maybe for you, that's walking. Maybe for you, that's cooking. I kind of have a list of things that make me feel good and I make sure I do them every day. They're so important. And I love a good morning routine or just like a self-care practice because I I think most people will put those to the side or they're things that we will do when we're feeling good already. But it's like those things that you have to do every Mm -hmm. single day and having non-negotiables about it. Sorry, my dog is trying to get me... To pay oh, that's usually fine, um, but she's those- passed the fuck out on the couch <laughs> over there. Um, but yeah, having those non-negotiables and like knowing what you need for yourself and staying true to that and respecting that because when you push those aside, like you're just already starting from a deficit, especially in the morning or the beginning of your day. It's like so important. I'm trying to refine mine now and like taking even more time for rest because before – or in the past, I'd always been the one that's like, I need to be filling up every hour of my day with activities and I need to be go, go, go and get the grind. But now I'm like, no, I actually need a lot more rest than most people probably do. And I need more time just to like reflect and think and take walks and be with myself and my own thoughts and like not have all the other external factors. So I think that's so beautiful. And I love that you have that like down. Yeah, it's it's annoying how much alone time I need sometimes. (laughs) Um, I I think I'll just do last Mm -hmm. few questions. Um, First, what scout do you want to be remembered by at the end of your days or just even like in general? You know, it's something that I think very little about, like legacy questions kind of things. I've always wondered why I don't think about them so intensely, but I guess I would just want to be known as someone who cared about others or who cared about alignment, fulfillment, purpose someone who believed that people could overcome no matter what their life circumstances are and someone who was always a proponent for a better, healthier, more fulfilling reality for others than what they're currently living with today. I love that. (laughs) I think last question I have is any last piece of advice? You've shared many, many different types of advice, like any last leaving piece. It could be what we talked about or general advice. I don't know so much if this is advice, but I would invite others to, or all of you listening to really start to believe that you're safe in your emotions, to really not be afraid of them, but to rather invite them in and get so attuned with them that you understand why they're running through your body, why they're overtaking your system. They're usually warning guides, signs, detours, all of the good things. So I always just invite people to adopt the belief that they're safe in their emotions, that their emotions are there for a reason, and we get to hold them as holy, sacred, all of the things. We don't always have to like them, but we do have to love Mm -hmm. their experience with us and listen to them and honor them. I love that because I sometimes I think I also am like, oh, why am I being emotional about this? Like, why is this overwhelming? But just like embracing them, and they're also a good way to tell us 
like what's going on deeper maybe or how things could be affecting us or like why you're getting certain patterns in life. I think they're a great um, like secret message almost. Yeah. So I love that you reframe that for people. Yeah. Um, Scout, where can everyone find you? All of the things that you do, your podcasts, everything, where can they find you? Yeah. The best place to find me is on Instagram at Scout Sobel. Uh, in my bio, you can find links to Scout's agency, okay, so podcasts, my personal podcast, Scout podcast, and then you can get my book, The Emotional Entrepreneur on Amazon, which is also in the link in my bio. Love that. I highly recommend the book. I read the whole thing and I think it was very even helpful for me just for this podcast, but also just like in general and what I'm doing in business too. So thank you so much thank you. for everything. Have a great day. You too. That is it for me today, you guys. Thank you so much for being here and for listening. Before you go, make sure that you rate, review, and follow, as well as subscribe so you never miss an episode. And one thing you can share in the meantime, this podcast, obviously. Send it to a friend who needs some inspiration or give us some love on social media and tag us at Something to Share Podcast on Instagram. And I'll see you next Wednesday.